Well, good morning, Bethel friends and anybody else that's watching this. This is our first experiment with virtual church, and it's certainly caused by something we didn't want to have to go through, this coronavirus um, epidemic, pandemic. Actually, I guess it's a pandemic because it's worldwide as I as I look this up. Anyways, uh, my wife is in the other room, Megan, and she's going to let me know if there's any problems with the way this is viewed. I think you're able also to message right there. If there's a problem, you certainly can message the way it looks or anything like that. Uh, I see that Carol Russell's watching, so hello. Anyways, um, right now it's only on Facebook, Facebook Live. As soon as it's done, I will upload this message to YouTube. That takes some time. And then it'll probably be under where it says devotions on our current website, BethelFriendsChurch.com. It will also be uploaded to podcasts. I'm recording it on my, uh, on my trusty iPad, I got my recorder open, and so it's recording right here. So it'll be on podcast as well. Uh, I don't plan to at this time, hello, Farrells. I don't plan to at this time just give you an appetizer. This is going to be a full sermon. Unfortunately, today, we don't have music. That means my sermon can go an hour. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, it's going to be a full sermon, though. And one reason I'm trying to experiment with this, and I signed up last night for something that would allow me to do a live video on YouTube and Facebook at the same time, so anybody could watch. Uh, I'm not able to do that today, but in the future, if we have to, we could do that. Keep our elders and our leaders in prayer. Tomorrow night, they're meet, and we are going to have to talk about next steps. You know, my prayer and hope is that this coronavirus will just dissipate. God will make it go away. God will bring about a cure really fast. But uh, if not, or if it goes the way it's going, we have to know what we are going to do. We only canceled church for today. So next week at this point, worship service is on. Sunday school is on. So it could be that our elders are going to contact everybody and tell them, uh, don't feel guilty about staying home. We'll meet whether there's 20 or not. We could be open for just prayer. We could go virtual church. And that would mean that we, we could have just a few musicians in the sanctuary and do a whole worship service. And there's several churches doing that. Alliance Friends is doing that. Mega churches are doing that right now. Things like that. Anyways, that's kind of what's going on. I want to pray right now. And then I'll get into the message uh, for today. As I do pray... Keep uh, there's many prayer needs, of course, but one critical one right now is Cody Dinmead was rushed by ambulance to Akron Children's and Boardman this morning. He was unresponsive, and uh, so Cody Dinmead, and now Cody Dinmead is actually being transported by ambulance from Akron Children's to Akron Children's in Akron. So pray for Cody Dinmead right now. Pray for Lisa Dinmead. He 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 is responsive now. But he's apparently they're still dealing with a lot. So let's pray for Cody Denmead, Lisa Denmead, and the rest of the church and really the world. Remember, this is a national day of prayer. We need to pray for our country. We need to pray um, wisdom and guidance for all those leadership, the CDC. But we also need to pray spiritually that we are all turning to Christ. Jesus is our hope. This world is not our home. We live in a fallen world, a broken world. This world is not our home. And I'm going to talk about that here in a moment in this message. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And remember how awesome this is. Though we're separate, we're all praying together to our Heavenly Father. So let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in prayer. Lord God, we come to you in prayer. And we lift up every need out there. Right now, Lord, we specifically want to lift up Cody Dinmead. 
I pray your healing power upon him. That you stabilize him. Help give wisdom and guidance and knowledge to the doctors and specialists as they treat him to find out what happened. And Lord God, I just ask that you would give your comfort, your care, and your peace upon Lisa Dinmead and, and with, with Elaine too. I pray there will be no permanent continual damage for Cody Dinmead right now. But you'll touch his, touch his body and heal him. I pray that he's stable even right now. That he's stable even right now. And Lord, even to make matters worse for Lisa, it sounds like the hospital is limiting uh, visitors. I don't think I'm allowed to visit right now. Plus, I have a cold to make it worse. So I just pray your supernatural comfort for Lisa. Lord, your t word tells us to do all things with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, presenting our request to you. In the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray your peace on, on Lisa Dinmead right now. Lord, there's others that are, of course, hurting. We lift up Joan Rotar going through cancer treatments and dying young and uh, many others right now. I lift up Sally Kepler, um, Wendy Coy's mom right now. We pray, Lord God, that you would help all those who are going through treatments, all of those thousands and hundreds of thousands more right now where the coronavirus could be oh, ever so much more critical. Ever so much more critical because they already have a compromised immune system or breathing difficulties. So I lift them up right now. Lord, I do pray for a medical cure. Maybe this would lead to a swift vaccine. Maybe you're going to give wisdom and guidance the ability to do that. Maybe this will lead to a cure for viruses, which we can't do now, or more antivirals or things like that. Maybe, Lord God, you're just going to intervene and make this dissipate. Lord God, if that happens, I pray that our country and our world would give you the glory, give you the praise. Either way, Lord, I just ask that you would lead people to you. Lead people to you. Lead people to come to know you as Lord and Savior. And lead us, Lord God, to focus on you. We're always distracted by the worldly things. We're always distracted by affluence and treasures and, and money and greed. We're always distracted, even by sports, which can be a good thing. Sports are amoral, but in, we, we make them our God. And right now, sports are gone for now, at least organized sports. May this be a time, Lord God, we focus on you. We focus on you. Be with right now all those in need. Uh, be with our first responders. Be, those, be with those working overtime right now. Be with our shut-ins. Be with those in nursing homes. Lord, I think of many from Bethel friends. They're in nursing homes already. They're in assisted livings. And now their own family can't visit them. Wrap your arms around them. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, we're going to jump into a, a, a sermon, actually. And I, first, I want to bring up what is going on. I and mean, we, we all pretty much know what is going on. All this coronavirus stuff makes us wonder, though, what is going on? And, and do we have to fear? And we don't have to fear. No, no Christian has to fear. As Christians, we know that we are okay. And it... it, it you know, and it's encouraging to know, first and foremost, when we just look at the physical, it's encouraging to know that most who get coronavirus will recover. Most who are healthy will recover. It sounds like many who will get the virus, virus will actually be asymptomatic, it sounds like. And that's kind of the concern here. Many can just be carriers, especially those my age and those children. It sounds like one reason the schools closed was not for the children. The children, coronavirus, are even affected by this. The concern is they're going to be carriers and take it home to others um, who will get sick. But either way, Christians don't have to fear. We never have to fear. We must pray. We must sanctify our thinking. We need to sanctify our thinking and we need to pray. So, you know, I would ask that we 
take and live out 2 Corinthians 10.5. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, uh, Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that he takes every thought unto captivity, unto obedience to Christ. Every thought unto captivity. That, you know, we should live out Philippians 4, 4 through 13. Remember in Philippians 4, the apostle Paul was in prison of some sort, in chains. He, in Philippians 1, he said that even though he's been imprisoned, he's been a witness to the whole Praetorian Guard. He, he, he said it was done for God's glory. And he's writing to a church that had been persecuted. They're being persecuted persecuted. And he comes to Philippians 4, 4, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. They got to be thinking, how can we rejoice? You're persecuted. We're persecuted. They're taking our stuff. Uh, how can we rejoice? And then he says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, he says it twice. He might be saying it twice because they were wondering how they can rejoice. The Lord is near. The Lord is near to us too. And then he says, let your gentleness or your gentle spirit be made known to all. Now there's thought contextually. This could have to do with in the beginning of Philippians 4, he was talking about Judea and this other person getting along. But he says, let your gentle spirit be made known to all. That's a continual prayer request for me. Lord, may I be gentle even when attacked. May my children be gentle even when attacked. That's where to be. And then in Philippians 4, 6 through 7, do not be anxious. Don't be worried about anything. But in all situations, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's what we're to do. Instead of being anxious, instead of being worried, we present our request to God. And then it says, and the peace of God, which transcends, which passes, which is far above all understanding, will guard, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I think of that peace of God, you know, like a soldier guarding, a soldier standing on the wall, guarding the peace. When we pray with petition, with thanksgiving, uh, the, the, the older translations say supplication. We pray with supplication. That's humble petition. With thanksgiving, presenting a request to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ. We are guarded in Christ. And then Philippians 4.8. Instead of being anxious, what are we to think about? We got to fill our mind with something. We fill our mind with prayer. We fill our mind with, with, with thanksgiving. But Philippians 4.8. Think on things. I'm summarizing here. Think on things that are true and right and pure and holy. Things that are of good repute. Don't gossip in your head. Don't gossip in our head. So that's what we're to do. And I, I referenced that in a letter I put out the other day. Um, my brother's church, he's preaching on Philippians 4, 6 through 9 today. I know it'll be a good sermon. I, I, I skim read it this morning. That's not what I want to focus on, even though I already have. But I want to focus on our forever home. This is not our home. And we still wonder what's going on. And I'll tell you what's going on. We are living in a fallen world a fallen world. We were created good. We see that in Genesis chapters 1 through 2. We were created good. The world fell. When sin entered the world in Genesis 3, so did death. So did viruses and bad bacteria and, and parasites and thorns and thistles. You know, um, all the bad entered the world in Genesis 3. And I believe that things seem to be shown to be getting worse, not better. We're not evolving for the better. We're devolving. I don't know if that's the right word. We'll go with it. Uh, for the worse. More diseases are coming out. More sickness. More illness. And when we mess with things that are a little beyond us, it even gets worse. You know. So we're getting antibiotic-resistant bacteria now. Nothing's going to be perfect because we live in a fallen world. There is death until Jesus comes again and makes all things right. So created good. The world fell. 
Jesus has redeemed us, but we're not there yet. It's the already, but not yet. We're already saved, but we're not yet there. We are waiting on everything to be made new, which we see in Revelation chapter 21. So I want to talk about the future. You know, there's so much panic right now. There's so much uncertainty. But you know what you can be certain of? You can be certain of heaven. You can be certain of heaven. Let's talk about that. I was really debating what to talk about this morning. I, I did not think my planned sermon was going to work. I had a sermon planned on John chapter 9. Uh, we'll probably do that next week. That's the plan. Um, so I want to talk about our future as Christians. You know, there are at least three topics that fit right now. Prayer, which I've already referenced, prayer. We need to pray. This is a natural day of prayer. I encourage you, set aside time for prayer every day, but especially today, and pray for our country. Pray for our world. Pray for our leaders. Pray for our missionaries. There's so much more. Another, another, another good topic right now is God's sovereignty. God is in control. Some things surprise us, but they do not surprise God. He's in control. And... Um, Another one I thought about was heaven. I'm talking about heaven because we hardly ever talk about heaven. I'm also talking about heaven because heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. So I plan for this to be a full sermon, not a devotion, not an appetizer. You know, many of you are watching this because you're uh, taking the place of church and going to church. So this is a full sermon. And so let's just jump into it. It's also, as I, I think I've already said, it's going to be on the church website later. It'll also be on podcast. People who miss it right now on Facebook, it'll be shared. They can see it later. You can see it all week. You can probably see it uh, as long as our website exists. Let's think about eternity right now. I read this from Chuck Swindoll. If you have a steel ball, solid steel, the size of this earth, 25,000 miles in circumference, in every 1 million years, a little sparrow would be released to land on that ball, to sharpen his beak and fly away, only to come back another million years later and begin again. By the time he would have won that all down to the size of a BB, eternity would have begun. So you have a steel ball, a little sparrow is coming and chipping on that ball. And he's chipping on this steel ball the size of the earth. And he keeps on chipping away at it, chipping away. And Swindoll is saying, you know, how long would it take for a sparrow to make that the size of a BB from the size of the earth? It would take forever, it seems like. But he's saying, by the time you get that that way, eternity will have just begun. That's how long eternity is. And we as Christians, sorry, the cuckoo clock's making noise. We as Christians have all eternity to be in heaven with God. And heaven is a real place. Heaven is for real. And you and I, we were created to live in heaven with God. And I want to make the case it's real. It's not an intangible floating on the clouds reality. Years ago when I moved to Northeast Ohio, I moved from Cincinnati, though I'm originally from Dayton. One day I walked in a barbershop. It was a small barbershop that a local recommended. But when I walked in, I felt like I stood out like a Steelers fan in the dog pound. And you don't want to be a Steelers fan in the dog pound. I saw a few guys shooting the breeze and they said, you're not from around here, are you? And I said, nope, I'm not. Well, after that, they began to make me feel welcome. We had conversation. They gave me a haircut and everything. You know, it's only been just about 14 years since I lived in the Dayton area. But everything has changed. Everything. Sometimes I like to go to the website of the school I graduated from or check it out on Facebook because it has all changed. Nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing at all stays the same. 
Last, uh, a few years ago, they tore down my high school. They built another one. It's all different. I could go back to my hometown, but it's all different. The high school has changed. The community's changed. Everything's changed. Everything's different. I attended the same school, kindergarten through 12th grade. Everything's different. I think about when it, what it was like when I was my kid's age, when I was eight years old, and what my dad was doing. Then my dad was younger than I am now when, uh, when, when I was eight years old. A everything changes. So ha having moved less than four hours from home, I'm amazed at people who move overseas. I'm amazed at people who left Germany or Ireland in the 19th century to begin a new life in the States. You know, think about where are you from? Where are you from? Do you long to think back to the area you came from? Or maybe you long to think back to a different age. Are you longing for something? Are you longing for somewhere? Are you longing for some time? I want to argue we are all longing for heaven because we were created to live in heaven with God. In the new heavens and the new earth, a physical place. Paul Inns, uh, spelled Paul E-N-N-S, Paul Inns wrote a wonderful book on heaven after his wife had an untimely death. He wrote the following. He said, what are you looking for and longing for? In America, people sometimes long for the wrong things. And what they really want, although they don't know it, and what they really need will remain elusive to them. Many think they need another car, a vacation home, the newest, the newest items and technology. They think the latest fashions and the shopping centers will satisfy their longings. They won't. The longing that God has placed in our hearts is for heaven, a better place, a better country. But more specifically, it is a country of our ancestry. We are longing for heaven because God created us for that. We may long for a place, a time, or something else, but what we are really longing for is heaven. God created us for heaven. So my theme is simple. Heaven is real, and you were created for it. Heaven is real, and you were created for it. My application is hopefully encouraging. Long for heaven. Heaven is paradise. Long for heaven. Heaven is paradise. Heaven is real and you were created for it. Randy Alcorn wrote a marvelous book on heaven. And Randy Alcorn writes the following. He says, The sense that we will live forever somewhere has shaped every civilization in human history. Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was an island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic, an ancient Babylonian legend, refers to a resting place of heroes and hints at a tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them as guides to the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Seneca the Roman philosopher said, The day thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Although these, these depictions of the afterlife differ, the unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is belief in life after death. Life after death is common to all humanity. Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given innate sense of the eternal. That this world is not all there is. This world is not our home. Now, I want to say, 
we could focus on heaven now. I'm going to talk about heaven as a place, but Jesus told us to store up treasures in heaven. Don't live for this world. Live for eternity. Focus on Jesus now. John 15, Jesus said, He's the vine, we are the branches. One of my favorite prayer passages recently. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself. We must be connected to Jesus. Colossians 3, since you've been raised with Christ, keep, th- keep seeking the things above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Seek the things of heaven. Colossians 3 goes on to say, do all things with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Focus on heaven. The Roman catacombs where the bodies of many martyred Christians were buried contained tombs with inscriptions such as these. Listen to this. This is great. In Christ, Alexander is not dead, but lives. Another quote from the catacombs. One who lives with God. Another one. He was taken up into his eternal home. This is what they said after the early Christians died. One historian writes, Pictures on the catacomb walls portray heaven with beautiful landscapes, children playing, and people feasting at banquets. Awesome. In AD 125, a Greek named Aristides wrote to a friend about Christianity, explaining why this new religion was so successful. Listen to what Aristides said. If any righteous man among the Christians passes from this world, they rejoice and offer thanks to God, and they escort his body with songs and thanksgiving, as if he were setting out from one place to another nearby. They rejoice even at death because we can. Jesus said to be absent from the bo- this body to be present with the Lord. Well, Jesus said that through Paul. In the third century, the church father Cyprian said, Let us greet the day which assigns each of us to his own home, which snatches us from this place and sets us free from the snares of the world and restores us to paradise in the kingdom. Anyone who has been in foreign lands longs to return to his own native land. We regard paradise as our native land. Paradise is our native land. Our native land is not here, nor is it overseas. Our native land is heaven. We were created for it. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote, If our deepest desires cannot be satisfied in this world, then we must have been made for another world. Another world. He pondered this in other truths, which led him to Christ, led C.S. Lewis to Christ. Um... Part of the problem, though, is that we have an inaccurate view of heaven. We have an inaccurate view of heaven. So let's begin to change that. The Bible teaches that heaven is a place. By the way, in our library, we have an awesome book on heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's kind of long, but there's two shorter ones. And uh, one by Paul Inns, E-N-N-S. And I think it's called Heaven, What's It Really Like? And uh, Chip Ingram. Chip Ingram, marvelous, wonderful pastor, writer, wrote another short book on heaven. And Chip Ingram wrote his book on heaven because his dad was dying. His dad had recently became a believer and his dad was dying. And his dad said, what's heaven going to be like? And Chip Ingram with this theological master's, years of pastoral ministry by that time, couldn't describe it for him. So he decided, I need to study heaven. I need to study heaven. Wonderful book on heaven. Heaven is a place. I want to talk about several passages. You could look them up more later. Uh, This sermon manuscript is on my blog already. Sometimes we think things in heaven are only spiritual. We think they're only spiritual. This is not true. If things in heaven are only spiritual, then why does God use so many material objects to illustrate what we'll have in heaven? God uses material objects like house, dwelling, clothed, rooms, all in John 14. All in John 14. 
we also see in descriptions of heaven white robes, Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. We see rivers, gardens, and the tree of life in heaven, Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, 22, verse 2. Uh, Revelation chapter 22 refers to the same tree of life that was physical in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 2.9. So Genesis 2.9, we see the tree of life. Revelation 22 as well. Randy Alcorn writes, and he calls our problem today Christoplatonism. He, Randy Alcorn toy, coined a term, coined a term, Christoplatonism. He says, Plato was the first Western philosopher to claim that reality is fundamentally something ideal or abstract. For Plato, the body is a hindrance as it opposes and even imprisons the soul. This is not Christian thinking. By a biblical worldview, the body is a good thing. The tangible, physical world is a good thing. The world was created good before the fall. And Randy Alcorn goes on, he says, But according to scripture, our bodies aren't just shells for our spirits to inhabit. They are a good and essential aspect of our being. Likewise, the earth is not a second-rate location from which we must be delivered. Rather, it was handmade by God for us. The earth was handmade by God for us. Earth, not some incorporeal state, is God's choice as mankind's original and ultimate dwelling place. To distinguish the version of Platonism seen among Christians from secular forms of Platonism, I've, that's Randy Alcorn, coined the term Christoplatonism. This philosophy has blended elements of Platonism with Christianity. And in so doing, has poisoned Christianity and blunted its distinct differences from Eastern religions. You hear that? They're actually saying, Randy Alcorn's saying, when we blend Platonic thinking that the world is bad and our bodies are bad, we blend that with Christianity. We are poisoning Christianity. One way Christianity is distinctive from Eastern religions is we don't need to distance ourselves from the body, the body, or the mind. It's a good thing. These are good things. Randy Alcorn says, Appeals to Christoplatonism appear to take the spiritual high ground. Attempts to refute this false philosophy often appear to be materialistic, hedonistic, or worldly. But heaven is a real place. Jesus reminded his disciples to pray, Our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. By the way, a lot of you are watching, so hello. It's good to see you, although I'm not seeing you physically. I see Keith Demetra and Phil Calzo and Basha. Uh, I saw Claire Deemer and Cheryl Olson and Barb Kintz and, and, and a few others. And my mom's watching, but she doesn't have a choice. She has to watch everything. I'm just kidding, Mom. So let's look at these scriptures, these scriptures that talk about heaven. Uh, Psalm 2.4, the, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. 2 Corinthians 12.4 says, I was caught up. This is the Apostle Paul. I was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. That means that the Apostle Paul was caught up in heaven. In, Jew in Jewish thinking, there were three heavens. The first heaven was the atmosphere. The second heaven was the, the stars, the universe, the, the solar system. The third heaven was where God resides. And the Apostle Paul said, I was caught up in the third heaven. And he says, I saw inexpressible things which he was not permitted to speak of. And guess what? The apostle Paul wanted to go back to heaven. He knew it was great. This world is not our home. This world is fallen. It's broken. God is going to redeem it someday. He's going to restore it. He's going to make it perfect. He's going to make it right. You can read about it in Revelation 21 and 22. So for now, we need to store up treasures in heaven and not worry and do not fear, but trust in the Lord with all our heart. Okay. 
Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 6 and 8. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are confident, I say, and we, and, and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. The Apostle Paul, who had seen heaven, said he would prefer to be in heaven. He knew heaven was a marvelous place. 2 um, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Now there is in store for me, Paul says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Titus 2.14, who gave himself, Jesus, for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's talking about Jesus redeeming us. Matthew 6.33, Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to as well. When we seek God's kingdom, we're seeking heaven. We're seeking heavenly things. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 11 through 14. Since everything, this is about the future. Since everything on this earth will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. Colossians 3, 1 through 2. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, how do we do that? How do we focus on heaven? We focus on what the Bible calls us to focus on. Doing good. Loving God, loving people, serving people. I'm going to come back to that in a bit. Praying to God, spending time in spiritual discipline, spending time in the church family, meditating on the word of God, meditating on the scriptures. John 14, 1 through 2. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms, Jesus says. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Heaven. Heaven is a destination. Heaven will not be boring. Heaven is paradise. I did a sermon series on heaven before, and this sermon, which I, I modified today, was just the intro. Again, why don't we focus on heaven more as Christians? We're going there for all eternity. If you're going on a vacation for Hawaii to... I said that wrong. If you're going on a vacation to Hawaii, you're going to study it a little before you go, hopefully. Find out where you're going to stay, what hotel. What are you going to do in Hawaii? We're going to spend eternity with God in heaven. So let's focus on it. Let's focus on heaven. Um, think about the significance of heaven. Have you lost loved ones? You'll see them again if they were in Christ. Are you having trouble walking or maybe you cannot walk? You will have a perfect body someday in heaven. Maybe your eyesight is failing. Not in eternity. You will have renewed perfect vision in heaven. Maybe your memory is struggling. You will know more and remember again in heaven. And you can see 1 Corinthians 13, 9 through 13 about that. Maybe you're watching a loved one suffer through something. Know that this is not how God intended it. This is because of our sin-filled, fallen world. Your loved one will live again without these sufferings in heaven. <laughs> in heaven, it will be perfect. The person who has trouble walking has to walk with a walker or cane or use a wheelchair. Not so in heaven. I already mentioned hot eyesight. We have a person who loves to garden but can't garden anymore. I believe they'll be able to garden in heaven. The person who loves to run but can't run anymore. Loves to jog. 
you're going to have perfect knees in heaven, perfect ankles. And you're going to do all that in heaven. The Bible describes heaven as a city, as a garden, all these other metaphors, all these other descriptions. Um, do you have trouble getting up and facing each day? Do you experience pain constantly? This will end and you will have a perfect pain-free body in heaven. Do you experience depression or mental illness? Constant sadness. In heaven, this will all be gone. No more sadness. Do you have a loved one that you cannot talk with because of autism or brain damage or Alzheimer's or something else? You have conversations with that loved one in heaven. A few years ago, Dr. White, the president of Cedarville University, was preaching in chapel, and he was preaching on, I think it was Hebrews 12, but he asked people on Facebook to give comments what they're looking forward to in heaven. And somebody commented that they look forward to being able to have conversation with their autistic son. Never could talk because of autism. In heaven, you'll be able to talk. You will be able to have conversations. Those who have lost children, lost babies, never conversations with them because they died in the womb or died in, their, in those early days. You'll be able to see them in heaven and have conversations with them. Look forward to heaven. Jesus reminded his disciples to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9. Heaven is our hope. Heaven is our hope. Have you ever been at a family reunion and you wanted to see and talk to so many people, but there just wasn't enough time? There will be in heaven. And you'll be able to talk to Jesus and Moses and Elijah and all these other people in heaven. Do you want to see your parents again? Your grandparents? In heaven, you'll see them. You'll talk to them. You'll be with them. I love the hymn in Christ alone. In Christ alone. No guilt in life. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No fear in death. No guilt in life. Uh, you know, if you want to study heaven more, I referenced Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven, Paul Inns' book titled Heaven Revealed, Chip Ingram's book, which is called The Real Heaven, What the Bible Actually Says. I could give you those titles later on. Randy Alcorn has a shorter book and uh, just about questions and answers about heaven too. Um, you know, let me skip here to the end. Well, let me say this. A few years ago, it was a tragedy. A family of five died in a car accident, hit by a semi. They were young parents, 29 years old, with three children. They were soon going to Japan as missionaries. The youngest was two months old. Their car was hit from behind by a semi, and they died at the scene, all of them. It broke my heart hearing that, how sad. And I just said it was a tragedy. But upon further reflection, this is cause for praise. They all went to Jesus together. Moving day had come. Moving day had arrived. They all went to Jesus together. They could have experienced 80 years of suffering in this life, but instead they are in Jesus' presence. They're in heaven. There's a wonderful sermon by John Piper from Passion Conference years and years and years ago. And um, I could share it with you, but he shares a story of two missionaries. One was a single woman, served her whole life overseas. One had retired as a nurse or a doctor in Minneapolis, Minnesota, was single. So she went in her retirement years, in her retirement years, she went and spent time ministering overseas in a third world country. They both died suddenly. The brakes gave way and a car slid off a cliff and they died. He said, that's not a tragedy. They went to be with the Lord in heaven. John Piper says, I'll tell you a tragedy. He shares a story about a couple 52 years old and 56, I think. They took early retirement. 
and they decided to buy a 40-foot schooner and sail around the world collecting seashells. That's a tragedy. Affluence at its best. And the world is always giving us the message of affluence. That's what life's about. Material things. Stuff. And material things are amoral. They're not bad in of themselves. But God calls us to focus on eternity. Focus on kingdom living. Focus on heaven. And heaven will be real. Focus on Jesus. Live in simplicity. What are you longing for? Almost two years after Megan and I got married, we moved from the farmhouse, which we lived in, to live with my parents. I was almost finished with college, and it made more sense to live with my parents as we finished. My parents had moved to a place which cut down my drive time to school and Megan's drive time to work. We were both driving an hour each way. The nine or so months we lived with my parents were great. It was great living with my parents. But we longed to take our furniture out of storage and move into our own house. And that day did come. When Megan was pregnant both times, we longed for the day of our daughter's birth. We looked forward to the future. Sometimes we're looking so much for, towards the future that we miss the present, don't we? We miss the present. I long for the day where hopefully I can jog with Mercedes and Abigail. That's why I'm trying to keep up my running till they get early, uh, older, older. But then we miss their baby days, don't we? When they're babies, you look to the future. What are we longing for? Our ultimate longing is heaven. We all, we all, all of us as humans long for heaven. We tried to duplicate heaven in our homes, in our malls, in our, in, our, in our amusement parks. We try to duplicate heaven in our vacation destinations. We desire heaven because we were created for heaven. Created for heaven. Now let's get back to the present. I saw this on Facebook and wanted to use it. In November 1527, 1527, during the spread of a plague, Martin Luther wrote a letter to a man named John Hess concerning how Christians should respond to all the illness in their world. Martin Luther gives the same kind of practical advice we hear today, such as stay home if you're sick or think you may have contracted the disease. Take medicine and listen to physicians. Luther spoke against our gripping for control in situations of uncertainty. He notes that, first, an abundance of fear causes us to forget that we have been delivered by Christ. That we wrongly think death is the worst thing we can face. That's wrong. Second, we can focus on preserving ourselves. We wrongly think we can focus on preserving ourselves at the expense of our neighbors. In our case today, hoarding basic human supplies, Luther suggested that we should serve one another. By serving one's neighbor in times of sickness and death. And to remember that as Christians, we are not called to serve. I'm sorry. As Christians, we are not called to save or heal the entire world. Only Christ alone can and has faced the sin of the whole world. This coronavirus, COVID-19, and for like illnesses that have come in the past and will face in the future, is like everything else that ails our world. It shows how sin and death have invaded and impacted every aspect of human life. The heightened alert of our mortality should remind us that we cannot place our ultimate trust in things like physical health or financial security. These rise and fall with the constant uncertainty of a sinful world. Even the healthiest and richest among us cannot save or deliver themselves from sin and its wage. But God does promise to us that he will be our mighty fortress, 
where we can seek refuge. So serve one another. With school out on extended break, let's call our neighbors and volunteer to watch the kids while mom can go grocery shopping or take a nap. Pay it forward at the grocery or coffee shop. Random acts of service will balance the despair that life can throw at you in times such as this. You know, there's a wonderful old hymn. It's a children's hymn, actually. Children's hymn. But it's got wonderful words. It's called Jesus Loves Me. It was written by Anna B. Warner, who lived 1820 to 1915. In Luke 18:17, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Here's a story behind Jesus Loves Me. And then I want to read it, and then I'll close in prayer. The story is told of a brilliant professor at Princeton Seminary who always left his graduation class with these words. Gentlemen, there is still much in this world and in the Bible that I do not understand. But of one thing I am certain, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. And gentlemen, that is sufficient. That is sufficient, isn't it? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Without doubt, the song that has been sung more by children than any other hymn is this simply stated one by Anna Warner, written in 1860. 1860. It is still one of the first hymns taught to new converts in other lands. Miss Warner wrote this text in collaboration with her sister Susan. It was part of their novel, Say and Seal, one of the best-selling books of that day. Today, few individuals would know or remember the plot of that story, which once stirred the hearts of many readers. But the simple poem spoken by one of the characters, Mr. Linden, as he comforts Johnny Fax, a dying child, still remains the favorite hymn of countless children around the world. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I'm very weak and ill, that I might from sin be free, bled and died upon the tree. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, he who died, heaven's gate to open wide. He will wash away my sin, let his children come in. You hear those wonderful words? He who died, heaven's gate to open wide. Jesus died to open heaven's gate wide for us. He will wash away my sin, let his little child come in. Here's the last verse. Jesus loves me, he will stay. Close beside me all the way. Thou hast bled and died for me. I will henceforth live for thee. And the chorus once again. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. William Bradbury, the composer of the music, was one of the leading contributors to the development of early gospel music in America. He became recognized as one of the pioneers in children's music, both for the church and in the public schools. In 1861, Bradbury composed the music for Anna Warner's text, and he personally added the chorus to her four stanzas. The hymn appeared the following year in Bradbury's hymnal collection, The Golden Sower. It had an immediate response. If there's anything that will endure the eye of God, because it still is pure, it is the spirit of a little child, fresh from his hand, and therefore undefiled. Ask God to give you that spirit of a little child. The spirit of a little child. And focus on heaven. Focus on eternity. 
I thank you for uh, tuning in. I don't know if I could say that about electronic media. Tuning in with me. Uh, again, this will be available on YouTube. Bethel Friends has a YouTube as well as our website here, hopefully in a half an hour on podcast, hopefully in 10 or 15 minutes. And so others who did, who had to miss it can tune in that way. Uh, the manuscript will be on my law, on my blog and keep our church in prayer as we discern how to best minister during this time and pray for our country. Pray today. It's a national day of prayer. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us. You love us. You opened heaven's gates wide. You love us. We love you because you first loved us. Lord God, help us to love you. Help us to focus on you. Help us to store up treasures in heaven. Help us to set our minds on heaven. Set our mind on spiritual things. Instead of being anxious or worried, we go to you in prayer with thanksgiving, giving you our request. Help us to think on things that are pure and right and true and lovely. Help us to not fear, but focus on you. And we do pray, Lord God, for all those victims of this coronavirus. We pray all those scared, especially the elderly. We ask you to make the coronavirus dissipate. Make it go away. Provide wisdom and guidance and knowledge to the medical professionals. Providing a, a, a cure, a speedy recovery, a vaccine. Treating people the best they can. Don't overload the hospitals, Lord God. Uh, I pray that you would limit the virus once again. Just make it dissipate. Dissipate. We pray for all these needs, but most of all, more than anything else, help us to know you as Lord and Savior, to have a relationship with you, to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the only Savior, to trust in you and to commit to you. Help us to firmly make the decision to be with you. We want to live life with you, Lord, in order to become like you. We want to become like you, to learn and do all that you say, and to arrange our affairs, to arrange our life around you. Help us to make you Lord of our life, to know you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a good day and have a good week. And uh, we're keeping you in prayer. Let me know if I or Bethel friends can serve you in any way. Have a good day. God bless.